good morning, church. It's uh, great to be here again on a beautiful fall day. And uh, welcome those who are online and again those who are here this morning. Theme of our our message today is um, the call of Gideon. And we'll be in Judges, the sixth chapter, verses one and two. And then the lesson writer skips us down to seven through 16, kind of a, I don't know, weird lesson, a little bit different. Uh, I think they just want us to pretty much teach about this so that we understand it. Uh, Gideon's call is different than a Christian's call, but Gideon was called to serve, and we also as Christians are called to serve uh, the Lord and to do what we can to help advance the, the church. Um, not feeling good. Uh, been sick yesterday, today, and uh, now it's gone to my stomach and like an intestinal thing. So if I have to run, you will know why. I'm sorry, but uh, I'm not feeling good, and uh, there was no way anybody could teach um, at this late hour. So let's try to get through this. This is one of my favorite judges. Can anybody name any judges? Other than the one I just mentioned. Any judges? Deborah. Deborah. Okay. Samson. Samson. We always think of him, right? His jawbone. Killing the thousand Philistines and all the other things he did. Others. I have a dog. Named after a guy. And there's just one verse about him as a judge. Shamgar. That's a, that's a neat one. What about the left-handed judge? Anybody remember his name? Ehud. Uh, then there's another one. I think it's Caleb's uh, younger brother. I think he's the first judge. Um, Othniel. And um, there's uh, Jephthah that's mentioned and a whole bunch of them. Um, uh, Gideon would be the fifth of 14 different judges. And we say that um, Samuel was a judge, even though he was also a prophet and has a couple books uh, after his name, 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. says to describe the historical context of Israel's uh, oppressor and then uh, articulate the presupposition behind Gideon and uh, what he is supposed to be doing here. So um, I guess the basic idea here in our introduction is, is when people of faith answer God's call, the blessings of unexpected opportunities to serve will follow. Once Gideon here accepts this call and does what he does, then Gideon has an interesting story there. When you read the whole thing, again, we're not going to be doing that today. Go home and read it. There's a lot of neat stuff there. 
But the lesson context, to put this sixth chapter in context, and we're only looking at one judge here and just his call, because next week Covey will be in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 1 through 9, and chapter 10, verses 17 through 26. So 1 Samuel 8, 1 through 9. And then chapter 10, 17 through 26, for those who like to read that uh, ahead of time. But um, the context here, the lesson writer says the book of Judges features accounts of a series of leaders that um, they call judges. And um, were these guys judges? Did they wear black suits and uh, set and judge the people? Now, what were they? Leaders. Okay, they were leaders, but what were they? They were Avengers. You want the real Avengers? Here's the Avengers. These guys were military leaders. They would sin. There was a cycle that took place throughout the book of Judges. They would sin and not do what God wanted them to do. And then he would cause them to suffer by an enemy nation coming and uh, dominating them for a specific amount of time. Then the people would eventually uh, cry out in supplication and prayer, and they would repent. And then God would give them salvation. He would send them a military leader to fight the enemy and destroy them and get them out of their country so that they could have salvation and a time of peace. Cycle goes on and on, over and over again through the book of Judges. Many call this Israel's failure period. George Falwell used to teach that this was the dark ages of Israel's history. God wanted them to follow him, and after Joshua died, split up the land, and the elders that then existed after him, the people did what was right, and they they, uh, followed God. But it didn't take long before the enemy nations started to put them to tribute, started to get them involved in false worship, and then we see this cycle uh, going throughout the book of Judges. So that's kind of the, the uh, story here. Now, <clears throat> the judge's heir ran from 1380 to 1050 B.C., about 350 years. So if this was 350 years on the Israelite calendar, <clears throat> what took place about 250 years before that? Before this air starts, it would have been the time of slavery when they were in Egypt and the Exodus, them coming out. So 250 years go by and then boom, we start this cycle with the times of the judges. Here with Gideon, again, I told you he was the fifth of what they say, uh, 14 different judges And uh, the Midianites are the oppressors coming in and oppressing them. Now, uh, 
The Midianites would have been in the territory of northern Saudi Arabia or southeastern Jordan, if you would look at a map today. Find Saudi Arabia, the north part, and in Jordan, uh, come down to the southeast section. That area right there is where Midian is. And they would be crossing over the Jordan and uh, fighting and oppressing the Israelites. Um, the Midianites were not a, uh, barbarians by any means. They um, had a very sophisticated society, and they had a very um, well-organized trade um, group throughout the Arabian Peninsula. And uh, they traded with Egypt and Syria, Palestine, and also Mesopotamia. So they were a people that had some money, some wealth, and uh, some understanding. But when you look at Midian, um, Midian at different times just fights with the sons of Israel. They just didn't get along. And uh, we see that is the case here. So our lesson writer has this broke up in a couple points. Main points, this first one is Midian, uh, Midian's oppression. So let's notice in the book of Judges, chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. And let's talk about verse 1 here for a second. Judges chapter 6, verse 1, I'm going to be reading from the New American Standard, and our notes are written in NIV, so I'll be using these interchangeably. <clears throat> it says here, Then the sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hands of, the Midi of Midian for seven years. So the book of Judges often begins the encounter of a judge by referring to the evil or the sin that they had committed and then goes and talks about who's oppressing them and, and so on and so forth. Again, remember the evil actions and the, the pattern of sin, servitude, supplication, salvation, and then there would normally be a time of peace. The length of the suffering differed. The, late, the, the length here, it says, the Israelites did evil in the sight of the Lord, and for seven years Midian oppressed Israel. Okay, this is relatively short compared to other judges and the oppressions that the people had to suffer. Uh, for example, uh, they suffered a time of eight years of oppression in Judges 3.8. They suffered 18 years in 3.14 and 10, chapter 8. They suffered a 20-year oppression in chapter 4, verse 3. And they suffered a 40-year oppression by a nation in chapter 13, verse 1. So the Sin, I said, was mentioned of these people, but we see here no specific sins mentioned, is it, here in chapter 1? 
It says evil. Okay. It says, uh, again, the Israelites uh, did evil in the sight of the Lord. This phrase, did evil in the sight of the Lord. What does this mean? This is talking about a sin. Let's go over to Judges chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. We could see this phrase used throughout the book of Judges. Judges 2, 11 through 13. Okay, it talks about Joshua dying here. Israel's being rebuked for what they're involved in. And then what's it say in verse 11 of chapter 2? Then the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. There's that phrase. And what did they do? And served the Baals. And they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed themselves down to them. Thus they provoked the Lord to anger. So they forsook the Lord, served the Baal and the Ashtaroth. Okay, so we see here this doing evil in the sight of the Lord meant they were serving the idol gods of the nations who were around them. If you don't like that verse, how about over in chapter 3, verse 7? <clears throat> chapter 3, verse 7. It says, The sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Here's that phrase again. And they forgot the Lord their God, and they served the Baals, and they served Ashtaroth. <clears throat> Over in the 10th chapter, verse 6, if you didn't like that one. Judges chapter 10, verse 6, 10, 6. It says, Then the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. They served the Baals and the Ashtaroth and the gods of Aram, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the sons of Ammon, and the gods of the Philistines. Thus they forsook the Lord and did not serve him. Now, were these gods, were they gods? No, they're little G's. They made them. They made them like totem poles, like the Ashtroth. They made gold items or silver or something else. They were fashioned and formed by man. Okay. They had no power. They'd speak to them, pray to them and whatnot. They weren't going to help them. But God, the God of heaven, is real. And the Israelites should have learned this. But they want to be peaceful with their, their neighbors and all the ites that are in the land, the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hittites and all the other ites, the Amorites, the Midianites. So they worship these false gods. So back here in our text, the sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. What was that? They served these false gods. And what did God say if they were going to do that? The Lord gave them into the hands of Midian for seven years. 
So God caused these people to punish them, to try to get them to repent and come back to him and to do what the law of Moses said and to go to the tabernacle and to make their sacrifices and do the things that, that God wanted them to do. Any comments or questions there on verse 1? Because they wanted to be friendly with their neighbors and so forth. Um, it was just something they did. They should have known from the stories and the accounts that were given from, we're going to learn here, from the Exodus and how God had delivered them. And um, again, they just went through these cycles uh, in their history. And uh, God's trying to teach them. He's trying to wake them up. And that's why he's causing these enemy nations like Midian to come upon them and say, why are you serving their gods? They're not gods at all. I'm, I'm your God. Can't you remember what your forefathers told you? Can't, can't you be wise and learn from the, the experience of those that have gone before you? No. So you're going to have to experience it then to learn. There's those two ways of learning. Learning from what other people did or learning it yourself. And what normally do we choose? <laughs> we choose to do it ourselves and we have to learn through the mistakes and failures or successes that, that we make. Okay. Chapter or verse two here of chapter six says the power of Midian prevailed against Israel. These guys were strong. They had a military. They were ready to go. In the book of Judges, they were off with their own little tribes and their own little areas. And they didn't have a, a, a military uh, that would be under like a king or something in that nature, like King Saul's army or um, David's armies or Solomon and his armies, okay? So the power of Midian prevailed against Israel because they were worshiping their gods and God allowed it. Because the Midianites, the sons of Israel, made for themselves the dens which were in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. So now we see here uh, that the land of Israel featured large and small caves, some of these were natural. They were in, in the sides of the mountains and so forth, and they could go and hide in them. Others were man-made. They went up in the clefts of the cliffs and everything. And like mining, they dug into the hills, and they made caves. And they made these uh, strongholds and fortresses. Why? So if the enemy came, one, they could be hidden. And they could hide any possessions or possible animals or their loved ones and so forth in these places. And um, who knows, Midian and some of these people, they may not have been so concerned about the mountains. They may have went through the valleys. They were looking for the fig trees and the grapes and the pomegranate trees. And they were looking for uh, the grapevines and the animals and livestock and the wheat and anything that they could take that was valuable. Uh, one, uh, they had a, a, a very large uh, military, it says, when you read this whole account. It uh, couldn't be numbered. Uh, 
But over in chapter 8, they do give you a number of, uh, I think it's 132,000 soldiers that they went and fought against them. And how many uh, Gideon and his men fought those 132,000? 300. 300 of them. Woohoo! Let's take our 300 and go fight them, right? 132,000 will be good, right? So we uh, see here that they, they go and hide. They make these forts, these strongholds, because they're oppressing them. They're taking all their stuff. Okay, bad. Now we're going to see any comments there on one or two. We're going to see God sends two different uh, people or persons to Israel. One is a prophet. He's going to come and rebuke the people. And uh, another one is the angel of the Lord. And um, Gideon's going to talk with the angel of the Lord. And it sounds like to me when you read the account that maybe Gideon also heard what the prophet had to say by some of the things that he brings up whenever he's talking with the angel of the Lord. Okay, so we see these people when everything come, and what normally happens, they cry out, and God's going to send an avenger, right? Okay, so go down to verse 7. That's what we see happen. Now it came about when the sons of Israel cried to the Lord on account of Midian. What do you mean they cried? They just sat there in their strongholds and their caves and cried? No, this means they, they cried out in prayer. They repented. They were sorrowful. They, they finally learned their lesson from what was going on. And what happened in verse 8? <clears throat> that the Lord sent a prophet. I got this marked with yellow here. I got lines written with pen. This is important. Here's this prophet. What's his name? You guys don't know his name. Ichabod Sr. No, we have, we have no name. Here's a prophet that comes along and important thing going on here. But what's really important is the message, isn't it? doesn't matter who the prophet is. But we, we want to know the prophet's name, don't we? <laughs> what's his name? <clears throat> we don't get it. The Lord sent a prophet to the sons of Israel, and he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, It was I who brought you up from Egypt and brought you out from the house of slavery. So what's he remind them of? He said, I, I'm God. I'm the Almighty. I'm the one who brought you out of the house of slavery. I'm the one who brought you out of Egypt. Okay, this is important. Remember what I did for you here? They were oppressing you. They had all those gods. All those plagues were against their gods. And all the things that I did to them, they're not real, the gods that they served in Egypt. But I am. That's why I was able to get you out of that house of slavery and to show you this. Verse 9 says, I delivered you from the hands of the Egyptians, from the hands of all your oppressors, so not only did he deliver them from Egypt, but also all the oppressors, the people that they had to fight and war with during the 40 years wandering. And then also, 
and depossessed. Who did they depossess? Them before you and gave you their land. Who were these people that he depossessed? God depossessed for them. The Canaanite, the Hittite, Jezbazite, right? All the otherites. Okay, God got rid of all of them so that they could have the land of promise. And Joshua was there ruling them at that time and divided the, the kingdom and the nation, right? So I'm God. Look at what I've done in the past. Okay, learn from what's already happened, he's telling them. Get, have some wisdom here. I defeated Egypt. I defeated all these other people that attacked you. And I've even depossessed all these other nations that were larger and stronger than you. And gave you their land. Verse 10. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites. See, he's saying, I'm your God. Look what I did. Don't fear the gods of the Amorites. Okay, I allowed these Amorites to come in here and to punish you, to get you to come back and follow me. Don't go follow their gods. In whose land you live right now. That would be, again, in the land of, of Canaan, Palestine. And you have not obeyed me. See, because you haven't obeyed me, that's why I've let these Midianites come in here and punish you. To get you to come back to me. Okay, it's not that their gods are real and their gods are stronger. No, I allowed these people to oppress you, to get you to repent and to come back to me. So here you go, yellow marker, whoosh, pen. Here's the second person that comes and talks. Verse 11. Then the angel of the Lord, he came and sat under the oak that was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abizarite, as his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press in order to save it from the Midianites. Okay, so now we see the angel of the Lord. Who's the angel of the Lord? <laughs> Commentators and all kinds of people say all kinds of people. Um, right, but the... The book of Hebrews says that uh, he's not an angel. So the second part of the Godhead's not an angel. So this angel had to be an angel that was with the Lord and spoke for him and had power like the Lord. Now, if I'm wrong and you prove that to me, that's okay because I've, I've wavered on this. Is this the second part of the Godhead or not. In my mind right now, the second part of the Godhead's not an angel. He's not been created. Okay? So um, that's kind of where I'm at. 
Okay, but we know that this angel is powerful. He speaks as if he's God, the Lord. Um, he takes this sacrifice that, that Gideon brings to him, this, this lamb and this broth and everything, and strikes his staff and accepts the sacrifice and burns it up. I don't know of another angel doing a thing like that. Maybe, maybe there is. So there's something very special Again, about the, the angel of the Lord. And he's not just an angel like Michael or Gideon or, excuse me, Gabriel or, or one of these guys. Okay, the angel of the Lord is something unique and, and special in and of itself every time you see the angel of the Lord come. Okay, so we do see here's this the angel of the Lord. He's setting under this oak tree. So what's unique about that? Trees were landmarks. You ever go out into the country and somebody try to give you directions? <clears throat> I lived out in the country, three miles from town and everything, but we would say, <clears throat> you know down there where that road goes to the right where Blair's... Uh, little fruit stand and vegetable stand is? Yeah, I know where that is. Okay, go down there and make that right. Drive out there uh, out by, by where Shof's farm is. You know where that is? Yeah, yeah. Okay, make a left right there. Take that all the way around. And you'll go out by the pond out there by uh, MacGyver's. And uh, when you get out by MacGyver's, you'll come to a T. Make that right, and that'll take you down, and that'll take you to the trailer court. And uh, then you can go in there and find whoever you're looking for. <laughs> right? We use landmarks, things that the people knew. So this oak must have been a big, huge oak, something that shaded people. Travelers, when they were uh, traveling, maybe when they were working. Uh, this was a, a cool tree. It was a landmark. And here the angel of the Lord sitting there under it. And he's looking over here watching Gideon, maybe down in an, an impression, uh, in a wine press, uh, beating out some wheat that he got out of the field. So that who wouldn't get it? Midianites. They were coming and taking everything, right? So here he's like, wait a second. I dug these fields. I planted this wheat. My belly's growling. And I want some bread, right? I need something, some substance. I'm going to get some of this and, and uh, get some food. And if, and if I have some left, maybe I'll take some to dad and my brothers and, and uh, my family. So we see him working. Not only did he work to, to, to get to plant the wheat and for God to bring it to harvest, he's now working because he wants some. And he's not afraid of the Midianites. If they would come, what would he probably do? He'd probably say, okay, take it. What, what could he do? But as he's beating it out and everything and, and winnowing it and getting it usable, he may have been taking, you know, bushel baskets of it and hiding it or sticking it someplace so that he could keep making more and more uh, so that they could have some food. Or they were going to starve. They were going to be in trouble. So uh, this tells us something about Gideon, that he's working in a very dangerous um, place. 
because of these troops and all these Midianites that are running through the land looking for people like uh, Gideon. And um, we see that this is his property, his wine press, and this is the oak, big oak tree there uh, in his dad's property. Any comments there, verse 11? Okay, verse 12. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, so the angel's appearing to Gideon, he says, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. So Gideon's a valiant warrior. He leads the, uh, maybe a, a large segment of troops for Israel. Not yet. So there must be some prophetic things to this, right? We don't see anywhere in the text here where Gideon is some great political leader. We don't see where he's a great military leader. He has fears and he has doubts when you, you read what's going on here. He starts with 32,000 men and he's like, man, I need some more men. God says, Tell them, whoever's afraid, go home. Then he's down to like, what, 10,000? You know, and then I think he asks that 10,000. Or he takes that 10,000 down by the water and has them drink. And only 300 of them get down and scoop up some water and drink it. And they're watching to see if the Midianites are going to come over the hill and attack them. And the Lord says, those are the 300 you take with you. Tell the others to go home. So he had 300 men that he's going to go fight this huge army. And this isn't until down the road yet. But he hadn't done anything yet. Well, maybe because he was a farmer. He was big and he was strong. Digging up these fields and uh, planting the crops. And he's not afraid. You know, he's down there in the wine press taking that wheat and working by himself and uh, winnowing it and threshing it out and getting it ready to be made into food. Okay, I mean, he, the guy had to have a little bit of courage or, or boldness or he was really, really hungry. Uh, I think it could be a combination of all of those things. So interesting that he calls him this valiant warrior and the commentators... Uh, they say that um, this is um, in reference to what's going to happen in the future, that he's going to be a valiant warrior and lead uh, the armies against these people. And what does Gideon say there in verse 13? This is what the New American Standard says, but I'll read the NIV too. Interesting. <clears throat> Then Gideon said to him, O oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? Okay, if God's with us, then why is the Midianites in here doing the crazy things that they're doing, running roughshod over us all over our territory? Notice what he says. Where are all the miracles which our fathers told us about? saying, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? So, hmm, he heard about the miracles. How did he hear about those? 
Yeah, maybe from his fathers or um, great-grandfathers or whoever. He passed on these oral traditions. Or maybe he had gone to Shiloh or different places and they read uh, segments of the Pentateuch. And uh, he would have heard about these things. And what would have been some of these miracles? Parting of the Red Sea, huge miracle. Plagues, boils, and darkness, and death of the firstborn, touching the Nile River and it turning into blood. And I mean, a uh, lot of miracles, right? How about out in uh, the wilderness? Their clothes not wearing out, getting manna from heaven every day, okay? God, God took care of them. Did I hear another one? Water from the rock. Okay, all these things, wonderful miracles. And then he goes on and says, but now the Lord's abandoned us. Oh my. He, he's going after the Lord now, right? To the angel of the Lord, who some think that could be possibly the second part of the Godhead. So he's saying, but now the Lord's abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. He used to perform miracles. He used to do all this stuff in the past. But now, what's he doing? He hasn't done anything for us lately. Yeah, because you're involved in idolatrous worship and you're worshiping false gods. And you're intermarrying with these people and doing all the things that I told you I don't want you to do. Verse 14, the Lord, see now that's where it's, it doesn't say the angel of the Lord, it says the Lord looked at him and said, go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? Now that's, that's a powerful verse there. If this is the second part of the Godhead, he's looking at him and he's definitely speaking for him. He's telling him to go in your strength. What strength? The strength that he was mad, that he was upset, that miracles and that aren't performing now, being performed for him, how they're being oppressed, how he's working by himself down in this wine press trying to get a little morsel of food to eat or maybe have some to give to his family. And he's saying, see that, that strength, that courage, that fortitude, that power you have? Use that and go fight these bad guys. Let this motivate you and get you going. Can you see that there and what he's saying to him? And he's telling him, go and deliver Israel by your hand. Haven't I sent you? So God's saying, I'm sending you to do this. Just as he called Moses, look at all the excuses Moses made. But Moses went, what about Joshua? You know, again, be strong. Be faithful, go fight, go do what's right. Gideon, same thing for you. Go and fight, I've sent you. Use the power that you have. Verse 15, and he said to him, Gideon, again, back to him. O Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? 
Behold, my family is the least in Manasseh. See, he's saying out of the tribe of Manasseh, my, mine's the least of all of them. And he says here, and I am the youngest in my father's house. So there's older brothers and so forth that are more adapt to doing this and more equipped. Why would you pick me, the youngest? Okay. Now, where were they standing? On dad's property, overlooking dad's wine press. How many people had wine presses? Did they all have them? Now, the wine press wasn't being used right now. See, they were able to winnow the wheat. But in a couple months, the grapes were going to come. And what were they going to put in there? In the wine press, the grapes, and make wine. And then when you look a little bit further here, and you see him cutting down the ashtoreth and so forth, and, and Baal idols, and using them as wood for a sacrifice from God, who's he have come with him? Ten of his father's servants. So uh, he has enough money to have ten servants, and he's able to clothe them and to feed them and to pay them. And so Gideon, again, might not have wanted to be braggadocia or whatever, but if they were the least, then they were some really well-off to-do families, weren't there? Because when you study and you start reading through the, through the account here of Gideon, you see that they weren't as bad off as he's making it out to be. <clears throat> In verse 16, what does he say? But the Lord said to him, surely I'll be with you. I'm going to be with you if we do this. And if I'm sending you, I'm going to be there with you. And you shall defeat Midian. He didn't say, you're going to go and give a good, honest try here. He said, no, you're going to go defeat them as one man. Here was this one man, Gideon. And the prophet may have got him excited. And what was going on with the enemy oppressors? And now the angel of the Lord is coming and calling him and giving him this task and this job. You know, we as people living in this world, uh, we get caught in sin and uh, a lot of different sins that man can get in caught in. But when we come to that knowledge of truth and we want that to be broken, we need to cry out to the Lord and ask him to help us and send a savior, and he has. Who is that Savior? Jesus. Jesus has come. And if we accept him and accept who he is and what he does for us, then we can have peace with God. And for all of eternity, not just eight years or 10 years or 14 years or 20 years or 40 years, but forever. But the choice is ours. Yes, Gideon had a miraculous call here and, and everything with what happens and what you see take place and the miracles with the fleeces and again, the, the dream being told to him and these 300 be winning this battle. We may not have stuff like that, but we have those things recorded in the scriptures for us, for us to read and to understand and to apply in our lives. 
And we can go out and we can defeat sin and we can defeat false doctrine and we can defeat Satan because the Lord's with us. We have his Holy Spirit which abides within us. So let's go out and let's serve and let's work and let's do all that we can to be victorious uh, for the kingdom and for our Lord and King Jesus. Let's pray. Dear God and Heavenly Father, we do love you and praise you. We thank you for just uh, getting our tongue wet a little bit here with the story of Gideon. There's so much in that story. But dear God, help us to use those things that we've looked at to inspire ourselves, dear God, to, to live right and to act right and to repent and to be seekers and to be going out in the world and being a good example and evangelizing. Be with each one here and each one watching and may you use us in our areas of influence. We love you and we thank you for Christ and pray these things in his name. Amen. Thank you.